I think that neither one of us really sugarcoats anything and how we're feeling, which I think was super important to establish on the very front end. That's Alex Repas, Chief Operating Officer at Crisp. You own the business. This is your baby. This is your lifeline. But at the same time, I think you respect my role and making sure that like you trust that I'm going to make the best decision for you, for your family and for Chris. I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. I sat down with Alex Ripas to discuss how to instill a culture of accountability, the most common mistakes made in scaling an eight-figure business, and how to attract and retain top talent. You have to treat recruiting as the same way that you treat sales. And it's not about how many people can you get through the door. It's really about how many impressions can you make on the outside world for those people to want to work here. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Before we begin today's episode, I want to remind you that we aren't beholden to any sponsors or run any ads on this podcast. This allows us to present all of our episodes raw and unfiltered. I'm not going to push any made-to-order meal services on you or try to save you any money on your car insurance. That being said, I have one small request. If you receive any value from this podcast, please give it a five-star review. Pay the fee so we can keep this podcast free. Alex Repas is a master of operational execution, an absolute weapon when it comes to scaling, and serves as our chief operating officer at Crisp. Said differently, it is she, not me, who runs the company day to day. I began our conversation by diving into Alex's upbringing and how it molded her into the leader she is today. Grew up an army brat, very strict household, you know, got up, made your bed. Mom and dad were very on top of everything, had a schedule, had to do karate, had to be in a lot of sports, moved around a ton, lived in California, South Carolina, Hawaii, and then landed more recently in Maryland about uh, when I was in middle school. So I consider myself a, a Maryland girl and, you know, big Ravens fan. You know, everything was, I had a great childhood growing up. I was not spoiled. I, you know, had to work for everything I got. I've worked since I was 15 years old, 14, maybe even younger doing babysitting and things like that. But, you know, my mom, when my dad was around, I think 15 or 16, he got stationed to Iraq after, you know, the war and, or during the war. And during that time, my mom was battling depression and everything. So she, uh, was, got addicted to pills and opioids. And at that time I had to kind of take the reins of my little sister. And so she was one years old when this kind of all went down and it was just me and her and my older sister at the time. And so you had to step up, you had to help out and it's unfortunate, but you know, they're all healthy and, and well now. And so it's, been really nice. But from about 15 till, you know, through college, it was, you know, you get up, you get your your sister ready, you help your mom, you get her off to school, you come back, you help watch her. And so it was, it was difficult. But I think that is fortunately, and I guess to some, unfortunately, what made me who I am today. I don't regret anything that happened. I think that it was 
it's really helped me to really kind of grit through and have all of these dreams and ambitions that I do right now. And, you know, graduating college early, it was all of the things that happened were a driver for me to get to where I am today and to become what I am today. We all, we all have things we go through. <laughs> so, so what did you want to be when you, when you grew up? So very funny. I wanted to be an attorney. Um, my aunt is a DA of, of Napa. My uncle is a judge. My cousins are, you know, is a lawyer. And so it was kind of one of those things where I, I was really good at arguing, <laughs> as, as you might know, and uh, putting my point across. And I was like, oh, I would love that. This would be so much fun. And ultimately, what, what kind of changed that was there's a lot of paper pushing, you know, that I just didn't really want to do. And, you know, if I were to be an attorney, I wanted to be in the courtroom 24-7 with no other obligations. And that's not the reality in which, you know, attorneys kind of live. So I kind of geared myself towards business and wanting to help businesses grow and wanting to really define process. And so I kind of found my track there. And if you could speak to that kind of like your career trajectory of like what you were doing before CRISP led you to CRISP, yeah. So after college, we moved down here to Maryland for my husband's job. And so, you know, really right after college, got out of the retail industry and I landed into staffing. And so I don't think that anybody dreams of being in the staffing industry. You kind of just land in it. And it was actually a very humbling and amazing experience for me because it's one of the most cutthroat businesses out there. And so I worked my way up. I started as a business analyst and I went on to being a you know director of sales and I've been a consulting manager. And so I got my feet wet in almost every department at the last organization that I was at, which kind of gave me a wealth of knowledge in terms of how the, the cookie crumbles, how the process works, how one department really transforms another department. And then, you know, the owner at the time, he wanted to essentially step out of being an owner and or being an operator and wanted to really be an owner and kind of step away from the business. So he gave me full reign for five years to really, you know, essentially be a de facto CEO and kind of manage the entire organization. So we were able to grow that organization in a very short amount of time to over 50 million in revenue. And it was really awesome. I was able to create values and create a culture and a place where people really wanted to work and wanted to be. But then it was also amazing to see how much, you know, you're able to impact with a really amazing team to grow an organization to that size. And then, you know, my daughter was, uh, was five and I decided that I had been in this staffing and consulting industry for 11 years at that time. I had never in my life seen anything else. And I'm a loyal to a fault. I mean, I've stayed with every company I'm with for such a long time, but I just had this urgency and this feeling that I needed to do something different. And so I uh, took a little break to hang out with my kid and hang out and be with her for a little bit. And then I quickly realized that I am not a stay-at-home mom. I am actually probably the worst stay-at-home mom on the planet. And then I found Crisp. So yeah, it was awesome. It's interesting. I think back, so even when we met several years ago yep. and we sat down and like this was back in the old office, it was COVID or pre-COVID, but the, the bottom line is I think everybody was at home. We, the world was was under lockdown. All of that stuff was going on. I'm curious, what was your experience like in terms of when you met with Jessica and I and kind of like seeing what the business looked like and the fact that it was, you know, Jessica was our operator at the time, also my wife, yeah. like I guess just what, why the interest in CRISP? What really attracted me was Overall, the fact that you guys have these enormous goals and ambition, right? Like you 
aren't a company or people that settle for anything less than. And you could see that from the time that you walk in, right? I mean, people put their core values and things on the wall. We do it too, right? But it's really spoken into existence with the people that are around. And you see that with how much collaboration, just in walking through the door, right? We have very open, or at the time, a very open environment. We still do, but it was it was a smaller office. So it was packed in there. And I think sitting down with both of you and just hearing, you know, down to like the questions that you're asking and really what you wanted out of this position and what you wanted out of the next step and the next stage for Crisp was extremely inspiring to me. I'm not one, I can't come in and be bored every day. You know, I've interviewed for Fortune 500 companies and, and you know, gotten offers and it's been, it was very humbling and amazing. But I think what drives me and what really motivates me here every day and what I saw in the interview process was the amount of autonomy and requisite autonomy that both you and Jessica were willing to give me to kind of create something really special here at Crisp and really transform it. It was a younger organization and you both were really looking to kind of grow it up. And so that was super exciting to me because I want to have I like to have a little bit of control. I think you know that by now, right? Like we both like to have that. And so we want to make it really amazing. And I think both of us also aligned on so many different levels, both personally, professionally, everything, spiritually, politically, we we just, those things are very important when you have to work with someone probably more than you work, see your spouse. So that was, I think the main thing. So when you started, uh, you originally came in director of operations and then uh, (laughs) relatively quickly were promoted to our chief operating officer. How would you describe the difference between the two? Sure, I think that it's different for every organization. I think for CRISP, however, you know, a true director of ops here at CRISP is really over our client-facing teams. And it's really aligning those client-facing teams to deliver white glove service at all times, right? And so, whereas the chief operating officer in the position that I'm in is really taking every single department, every single role here and making it aligned to each other and then obviously scaling it for growth. And so... Yeah, I came in and managing three departments and then, you know, very short while after started managing, you know, the entire thing. And over time, things were kind of transitioned to me and so forth. But at, you know, chief operating officers, they look at the profit, they look at, you know, where the revenue is going and how we're spending and things like that. For our business, a director of operations really looks at making sure that those three core client-facing teams are really working together to deliver quality to our clients that we can make sure that we're always, you know, striving towards our vision. And then how would you describe really the dynamic between you and I, because I mean, <laughs> for all intents and purposes, I, I say, I mean, Alex, you, you run the company, you run everything in the day-to-day, but how would you describe essentially how you and I work together? It's a unique dynamic. I mean, we're both very honest to a fault, and I think that that has worked very well for us, right? So I think that neither one of us really sugarcoats anything and how we're feeling, which I think was super important to establish on the very front end. We both meet, you know, weekly. And I think that we were able to have fun, joke and play at certain times, but you hold me accountable as much as I hold you accountable. And we have a very much so respect for each other's roles here. Like you own the business. This is your baby. This is your lifeline. And I respect that. I need to always keep that in the back of my mind when making decisions that this is not, it's not my money. It's not my livelihood as much as it is your livelihood. You own it. But at the same time, I think you respect my role and making sure that like you trust that I'm going to make the best decision for you, for your family and for Crisp and obviously Jessica and down to Mila and Misha, right? So I think that, you know, keeping that level of trust is very, very important. And I think one of the things that we talked about early on when I started was 
I don't remember exactly what question you asked, but I said, you have to be comfortable hiring me knowing that I'm going to give you the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that it's not going to all be rainbows and sunshine, but that I won't sugarcoat for you when things are, you know, about to hit the fan. So, <laughs> Yeah. How would you describe kind of like a, a day in the life right now in your role? Like just like what what is a, Man. I don't know if there's a typical day, <laughs> but just what do most days look like? You know, I think most weeks look pretty similar. Most days are probably a little bit different. I have a pretty big role that I like to meet with every person that I work directly with every single week. So that is a must for me. I check in with every person, even if they don't have a topic, I will at least ask like, how's it going? What do you need help with? So I am in quite a few meetings, but then, you know, I do make sure that I have my own deep work time so that I can get my stuff done too, right? And so, and that's thinking about the future and working, you know, closely with you and making sure that those things happen. But every week is is different. Right now we have, you know, different focus than we did at the beginning of the year that then we will at the end of the year. You know, I think that's the simplest way to put it. But for the most part, you know, I try to check in every single day and every single week with everybody that that works here that reports directly to me. And I want to dig in on a few different topics because particularly yeah. with, with people, because I think that's obviously the, the most important aspect of any business, yeah. you know, really starting off with hiring. And I know obviously having a background in, in staffing and mm-hmm. we've got, you know, kind of known for our, our hiring process and our hiring funnel is something we take seriously. We've even yeah. gone as far as like building out an entire hiring team in-house. Where do you feel most business owners go wrong when it comes to hiring? I think it's really the intake, right? It's understanding exactly what you're looking for. And I think that that requires a true intake process of, you know, what is this person that you're hiring for going to do? What is this person going to be responsible for? Who are they going to be accountable to? And what are they going to be accountable for? And so I think on the front end, and we've seen this here a few times, you know, we're not perfect, right? But we'll come up with this crazy new role and then we'll be like a weekend and we're like, wait, we got to backtrack. Like, what are we looking for here? And so I think, having a really clear vision of what you want is extremely important. Then there's the operation piece of it, right? And that's really a lot of it, yes, is a numbers game. It's this, you have to treat recruiting as the same way that you treat sales. And it's not about how many people can you get through the door. It's really about how many impressions can you make on the outside world for those people to want to work here? And what can you do to make sure that you don't have to constantly source and reach out, but that they actively want to come to you? And I think that a lot of companies go wrong with that and that they think, well, I've got this shiny building and then I've got this and that's the only thing I need and I've got a great website and so therefore they will come to me. It's a lot more than that. It's every reason and more of why I chose to work for Crisp. But yeah, building out a team, I mean, we really, we talk a lot here about the type of person we also look for, which is hungry, humble, and smart, right? You want to make sure that their values and yours align and that you are as transparent as humanly possible from the jump and you don't always get it right, but you learn from every single hire that you make. So then moving on to accountability, because I know you mentioned this, obviously this is very important to us. Like, what are your thoughts on just like the approach towards accountability? And really, I think when when we think about accountability, it's how do we ensure that everyone is doing what they're supposed to be doing, Mm -hmm. when they're supposed to be doing it, executing Mm -hmm. flawlessly. And at the end of the day, it's really execution. So, but what are your thoughts on accountability? Where do most business owners go wrong? One of the biggest things that you and I always talk about too is making it as simple as humanly possible for somebody to do their job, right? So you get rid of the nuances of like data and things like that and you make that automate as much as humanly possible. 
I think that accountability is something that is inherent within you though, right? I think that part of it is you you wake up and you're accountable to, you know, I wake up and I'm accountable to my husband and to my daughter to come in and make sure that I'm providing a really great life for both of them, likewise my husband to us. And you know that we have a, a healthy household and that we we have a, you know, all of those things. So part of it is inherent within you. The other part of it is making sure that you're setting the right expectations from the beginning. You know, I meet with every single person that reports to me for almost daily for the first month that they start working here. Anybody that works with me will tell you, like, I'm extremely honest to a fault, really anybody in my, in my life. And I will be as transparent as humanly possible. And I think that that really goes a long way in setting the expectations. And if you do that and you rinse and repeat that, you know, people tend to want to follow you and they want to do right by you and by the company and for themselves. And so I think that, you know, they really do strive to hit their targets and to do, you know, ask for help and do the right thing so that they can execute flawlessly on the mission or the goal for that specific time frame. So I want to ask you about something else that stays in the podcast. I remember when you interviewed and we sat down and we were talking about really our kind of our goals for the organization. You had told us at the time over the next year, maybe the next two years, probably half of the team, yeah. we're going to have to top grade them and yeah. we're going to have to bring in new people. Yeah. And I will say that like, we were a good organization at the time. We had won, I mean, I don't know, 5,000, four years in a row, best yeah. places to work. We were already an eight figure business. I mean, mm -hmm. it wasn't a slouch. And obviously we doubled since then, but why, why was that kind of something you said? What, what was the thought process behind that? I think it's very common for young organizations to hire entry-level individuals, right? Because that at the time, and not to be rude or insensitive to you or to Jessica or to the business, that's what you can afford at the time. Over time though, and as you grow and scale, you need true subject matter experts, right? At the time, we, we had never hired, you know, certain roles to have five to 10 years of experience that could teach other people in the department. We kind of, you were the teacher, for the entire organization. And that's not sustainable. And that's not something that I think you were willing to continue doing till the end of time. And so it's a huge investment. It is can be extremely tumultuous and at the same time, a lot of people will not understand it, right? And so you take a little bit of a beating for a little bit. And then over time, you end up with a really, really amazing team with a variety of different skill sets, a variety and years of experience where you're able to really grow everyone in the room. And so, um, and it did end up happening. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So then, yeah. and then on that note, something that I think that oh. has really always impressed me about you and I think is amazing is that when we've had to part ways with certain team members, in most cases, they're leaving with like, by giving you a hug. Like, how do you do this? You know, I think you have to remember that that is the most difficult part of the job. It is not fun. There are those days that I have it and I, I don't emote. I'm not a big emotions person. I have a huge pit in my stomach. I get very much so a lot of anxiety when you're letting someone go. You're you're affecting their life, right? And, you're, and their family's life. But at the same time, I think when you're transparent throughout the process as to how their performance has been and what's going on, you know, they, they tend to walk away with a little bit more respect for you than they did, than they would if, if you just let them go without any type of explanation or, you know, without anything along the way. And so it is very important for me to let them know that we are here for them. You know, we've helped out plenty of people. 
you yourself have of finding new positions or connecting them with other people, just because they're not the right fit at Crisp does not mean that they can't go and do the same job or be the right fit at another company. And so I think that that's really important is that you still show the value that they have added here, even if it was for a short time or, or, or whatever it may be. Now, I want to talk about vision to execution, because I think this is where a lot of law firm owners really struggle, particularly because you find that a lot of a lot of owners, auto entrepreneurs, they tend to be like the visionary where they have a lot of ideas and a lot of things that they want to do and they get really excited. Mm-hmm. And then they really don't have a way of moving those ideas forward yeah. like within their organization. And we kind of have the dynamic of like kind of like the visionary, the integrator. Like what would you say is kind of like our process for like for execution or I come to you, I have an idea. Yeah. How do we move things forward? Because we don't do everything. We obviously. don't know. Yeah, um, that's a great question. I think that we really try to pinpoint the focus areas, right? So every quarter we meet, we go over what our targets are, and that's really where a lot of the new things do come into play. Now, as most CEOs, and as you will will rightfully do it, you tend to throw a wrench in things halfway through the quarter, and you're like, Alex, I want to do this. It's going to be great. In most cases, we find a way to make it work. We reallocate resources. We kind of have to move things around. But I think that that doesn't go without a lot of planning. And so I will often ask for a little bit of grace. No, Michael, it cannot happen today. Give me until Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever the date is, to come up with a plan to make sure that not only the targets that we had set for this quarter happen, but that we can also fit this in as well. Then there are times where I have to look at you and I have to say, it's not a this thing, this month scenario. It's not a this quarter. It's next quarter or the quarter after that. You're the type of person where a shiny new system comes out and you're like, oh, I want to try it. This looks cool. Everybody's saying it's awesome. And I have to kind of remind you of what we have going on. Hey, Michael, we have a summit. It's... (laughs) 5,000 attorneys coming. I don't know that this is the right time to introduce a new system to our team. And it does set you back in reality. But I think the important thing about an integrator is, is not forgetting those ideas that you had to make sure that they do come up in the appropriate time. And so when we meet, we have parking lot items that we will discuss later. And so I think that that's really what makes it very important is that you don't have to remember your ideas. I can remember them and then ping them back up for later when they become more relevant. I know you mentioned systems a bunch, and, and if you could speak to just some yeah. of the systems that you've developed even over the last few years in the sense of like how this has helped our organization really scale. Because as we've grown, I mean, like I said, you know, we, we were already an eight-figure organization. You came on, we've more than doubled since then. The team has grown. The number of, of clients we serve has grown. Just the complexity of the organization has increased. Yeah. But, you know, we've simplified a lot. So what, what have been some of the systems that you put in place? I think the biggest thing is the amount of automations that we've put in, right, through our system. So that being, you know, Salesforce, churn, all of those things. For us, it's been extremely important. At at the time that I come on, we had been living in spreadsheets and Google Docs and this and that. And there's still a portion of that that exists to this day. And it takes a long time to get people out of those habits. But we now have dashboards sitting in the middle of our, our area so everybody can constantly see where they stand. And it's not just that one Slack that goes out in the morning. We now are able to produce reports very readily. We have, you know, data operations individuals here. We have more operations members here. So we're able to get more real-time data than having to wait two, three days to gather it all. And I think that that's been really the biggest thing that has tremendously helped now. Future, it's going to be a lot more, right? Like the more clients that we add, the more team members that we add, we'll have to constantly refine and and change it. Um, But I think that the data piece and the automations have been a really big uh, help for the company. 
I've joked before. It's like it's like the movie Minority Report, where like they know <laughs> like before you commit a crime that you're going to commit a crime, and yeah. that's what we do in terms of like even our one of our systems around like client health scores. So like when yeah. we look across the board, you know, we can tell like based on somebody's you know attendance and participation in calls, attending yep. workshops, utilization of just of, of program, program items and yeah. so on, like that we have a great bird's eye view in terms of like you know red, yellow, green light in terms of just where where does this client stand, and then how Absolutely. you know so we can really jump in and provide higher level support. Yes, absolutely. And I think that that's really then to also then focus on the productivity and like how much we can kind of get done within each individual and getting them more productive. And being more productive doesn't necessarily mean more hours, right? It means cutting back on something else that wasn't necessary. A lot of people, when they build out processes or something happens in an organization that's negative, you know, Michael sends a a message and he's like, hey, this happened. The natural reaction is to put another process in place and, and that's actually the wrong thing to do. You need to actually like figure out why this happened and probably need to cut out something that has been really redundant or is irrelevant. And one of the other initiatives, I know this was a, a big initiative of yours mm-hmm. uh, probably at this point over a year ago, was career paths. And yeah. I know when organizations think about career paths, I guess if you <laughs> can kind of speak to the thought process behind it, what was involved, yeah. what, what's been the outcome of that. Obviously, people are familiar with career paths are, but yeah. most organizations don't have them. Absolutely. And I think that this really became more really needed after the pandemic, right? Like people really wanted to understand where they could go and what they could do and and what their their path was and and what was going to take them from A to Z in the fastest time frame or the not fastest time frame whatever it may be, but it was a fun initiative. It took about 6 months to create. You have Oh my gosh, we have what over 30 roles here. And so each of those roles needs to see, you know, hopefully at least a four to five year vision for themselves. Not every person is going to want to be in leadership. So you had to think about that. Not every person is looking for, you know, monetary. So you have to think about that. But I think, you know, we initiated them and they'll constantly be tweaked, right, as we move forward. And I think we've talked about how we'll kind of look at them every single year, especially given that it was the first iteration. But it was really important for me that when people came in their first month here, they could see what they could do to move to the next step and to really drive themselves forward. And I think what that does for people is it gives them a goal, you know, a a bigger goal. Like you have your goals every single month of what you need to achieve in terms of your KPIs, but this gave them something to look forward to in the future in working with CRISP, which really helps from like a longevity perspective too. And I think one of the other important things around the career paths was that they were not tenure-based, right? So no. it wasn't just you simply existed and you breathed oxygen and that was how you grew. <laughs> um, and, and to your point, I think there was a lot of factors in the sense that, you know, there's ways that somebody can grow. They can become more specialized in the existing role yeah. they're in. They can move to more of kind of a management track where they're, you know, leading other people. Yep. Their accountabilities can evolve. Like, if you could speak to some of that. Yeah, I think that um, there's a lot of different components and and people want to learn, right? So you have to to add a training aspect to it. People want uh, monetary changes. They want financial growth as well. They want to grow their family. They want to grow, you know, their net worth. They want, you know, to invest in things. So you had to talk about, you know, what would that monetary change look like as well? But the biggest part is, I personally do not believe that you should just get a raise every single year for the simple point of being here for a year. Loyalty is a huge part of being at an organization, and I think it's very important as leaders to look at that too. But you can have an extremely loyal team member that does not perform well at all. And and those are the hardest to part ways with, the hardest, because they want to be here, they're 
crispy. They love it, but they just can't do it. And so, you know, you have options of figuring out where they can go, but we really wanted to make the career paths KPI driven and make sure that like, you know, it's not a perfect scenario. You don't have to hit 12 out of 12 months of your KPIs, but you have to at least hit a really great amount to like continue to like work for that base too, right? Like don't forget when you're making career paths, when you're making incentives that you're still paying them, you know, hopefully a healthy base to continue to strive forward every single day. Yeah. And, and I think there's going to be people who are listening to this and thinking, yes, career paths are great, but then if I'm paying more, you know, and you look at an organization, say a hundred plus, mm-hmm. you know, individuals, how do I make sense of this? Right. And I, I think we've got a really good system in place in the sense that it's really like when you're paying somebody more and they're growing their career path, they're mm-hmm. also driving more value for the business. That is the hope, right? That you have to make the career path designed to do that. I can't have a, a sales career path and they're not bringing in revenue. Right, that doesn't make any sense. So you have to make sure that it ties to the overall value of what they're going to be bringing to the table. And so, you know, using sales as an example, you can't move up in your career path if you haven't brought in a certain amount of revenue into the business. It logically would not make sense when you're scaling the business. Likewise, with you know our client facing, if you're not one, if our clients are not wanting to stay with us, and you have a mass majority that are not happy with the services. I can't move you up in your career path. That doesn't make logical sense because now I'm, I'm not getting any ROI on that. And what would you say has kind of been like the evolution of just people and process management just as we've grown and evolved? Obviously, the organization has grown substantially. Just how has that dynamic changed from when you started <laughs> until now? I mean, truthfully, you and I and Jess, we talk about different things now, right? Like, the drama still happens. The The conversations and ego is still there in the universe. That never goes away, but it's not as much as it was in the beginning. I think we got rid of a lot of the the toxicity that was, you know, initially here. And, and now we're talking more about how can we make this person more productive, not how can we make this person stop, you know, spreading rumors or whatever it may be. And I think that that that's a huge different, you know, dynamic of a conversation. I think when initially when I came on and we had our first few, we were both frustrated, right? We couldn't figure out, are we frustrated with each other? Are we frustrated with what's here, right? And that's when we we made a lot of changes. And then I think when it comes to process, Jess said it on the podcast with you too, like she had regretted not starting it, you know, when she first started here with Crisp and working with you. And I think that's very valid. You have to look at them every single day. Every quarter, every, I mean, you've got to re-energize and re-bring them up as you grow and you never really stop. You're constantly revitalizing and making things better and better and, and expanding on your process. One of the controversial decisions that we made, and especially over the last couple of years, that mm-hmm. was very, I don't know, I don't know if the word's contrarian or it was just, let's just say it was controversial um, compared to a lot of other organizations in the universe, mm-hmm. was that, you know, when a lot of organizations, they went fully remote, yeah. we did not. Yeah. And we we caught some backlash for that. There was, you know, in some cases, some people that would leave the organization yep. in favor of like remote only roles. Yeah. Like what what was the reason we kind of stuck to our guns? Because we did go hybrid, but you know, the in-person uh, component's always been very important to us. We're a company that thrives on collaboration. This might be controversial coming out of my mouth, right? But I just don't see a world in which Crisp can succeed at the level in which we had if we are all remote. We're an enormously creative team. I mean, our marketing is creative. Our production team is extremely creative. Our CSM team is extremely creative. And that is really hard to capture from home. And I think, you know what? We own it. We owned it from the very beginning and we never went back on it just for the sake of matching other organizations and their messages. And that was another enormous reason why I loved 
working with both you and Jessica, but wanting to come here is that you just, you owned who you are and what you stand for. And you never kind of went back on that. And that's really who I am as well. And so it's like one of the first questions I ask in every interview. I'm like, are you comfortable working in the office? Obviously a personal thing for me, I can't work from home. I talked about that earlier, but it's more so just having that in-person, I think people, and also what you're finding now is that people that were stuck at home during COVID are like thriving to get out of the house and they want to be back in this. I think it's just necessary human nature to want to be around other people. And I think in many ways, it's like because we owned it, it became a competitive advantage. And and again, we've yeah. had people on this podcast that run wonderful virtual remote 100%. owning law firms. And I think yeah. that works for them. That's sure. that's wonderful. Yeah. I will say that for us, we prioritize culture. It's number one. Yep. And I'm a firm believer, I believe you're a firm believer of just the fact that it's a different kind of culture when you're remote <laughs> versus yeah. when you're in person it is. and you're together and you're collaborating. And then also I would even say, just for you, when we were talking about career paths of like yeah. how individuals can grow within an organization, you find that when, when they're remote and kind of out of sight and out of mind at most organizations, I actually think that can limit some of their growth opportunities and income opportunities. It can, I mean, you, you have to really showcase more of the value that you're adding, right? And, and we really do, we have people that are remote you know, here, but as a leader, we have to find ways to help them showcase it more. And, you know, and I think that that's, you know, it's interesting. It's a thing that we've had to navigate since COVID and, you know, we're still in it in some sense, but, you know, I think it's been a wild journey for every single person. But I think back to your point, like it is just who we are. And, and I don't think that we need to be ashamed of that. Absolutely not. <laughs> so, all right. So for people listening, mm-hmm. let's say they want to kind of get out of the weeds of the day-to-day of their business. They yep. want to be able to work on, not necessarily in their business. Yep. They want to find themselves, let's say, whether it's a practice manager, whether it's a COO, mm-hmm. a DOO, an operator, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Yep. Like they want to find themselves an Alex. Yep. How do they get an Alex? Wow. Um, the first part is as an owner, what exactly you want to do, right? Like we always talk about your unique ability and what it is that your dream and vision and goal is. And then, so I think that has to happen before you actually find someone. It really has to be like, what is it that I want to do on a daily basis? And that can take a little bit of time to kind of formulate. But I think it's not necessarily so much finding an Alex, it's what are you bringing to the table where an Alex wants to find you or a great COO or operator wants to chase you, right? When you're looking for a job, you're just, you know, a lot of people go in the motions and they type in and they just like search, but like really, really great talented people are looking for organizations that they align to and that they can stand behind for a long period of time and that they can, you know, help foster and grow and want to be there till the end of time, right? I think that's really the the goal for anybody that we bring on or anybody that comes on board. But I think it's really more so about how you're branded and what you stand for and like what you're you're putting out there to the universe that makes you attractive more so than what attracts this person, you know, or what why this person would want to come here or so forth. And over the years, what have been just some of the lessons that you've learned, perhaps even just the challenges that you've overcome, just you know, even as a COO and just in, yeah. in you know in your role? You know, my mom uh, gave me the best advice when I was a kid. I think I'd come home from high school or college, I can't remember which one I was talking about, about somebody and, you know, being stupid and dumb. And she said, um, you know, Alex, like, why don't you go ahead and fix your own backyard before you start figuring out other people's, right? And so I think the biggest thing for me is constantly, you know, you have to, you have to keep a competitive advantage and look at your competitors. You and I talk about this all the time, but I think for me, it's always, yes, keep them in the back of your head, but how can we be better? How can we constantly be evolving and growing? I think that's the biggest lesson I learned 
and throughout my entire career, you know, working at last company and working here is like, what else can we do to make this the best organization possible that people want to come and work for? And speaking to that, I mean, just some of the things that we've done, it's interesting when I think back to them, we did them at very like interesting times, mm-hmm. right? So for example, it's like, you know, when the pandemic hit and you know, coming out of that, a lot of organizations are cutting back and they're downsizing. Yeah. Um, we've never downsized in our history. We've always been hiring, but yep. also we expanded the benefits. I yeah. mean, we made an investment, you know, over a million dollars annually in like just in our benefits, like full dental, vision, medical, yeah. everything. And it seems that that's worked well, but it's interesting the times at which we've done that have you know, arguably been, well, everybody else is actually cutting back. Why would you invest more? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that that's what makes you obviously an amazing owner. I think that you really do look at how to take care of your people and you are a risk taker in the best way possible, right? We, we had this joke when I first started, you're like, you wanna you know, own something one day? And I was like, nope. <laughs> I want nothing. I like to operate. You like to own. I think we know our place, but I think that's what, that is the beauty of what you're able to do. You are a true marketer and, and sales leader at heart. And I think that that's, that's what really makes this great is that you put in what you want to get out, right? And a lot of companies and organizations do not do that. And I think that you put in what you want to get out in terms of like our marketing dollars. We have the, you know, the dollars sitting on the table and you showcase every month how much we're putting into our paid ads. You do it with our team members and the benefits and, you know, just all of the different investments that we introduce all the time. And I think the great thing that you're showcasing is that we did, we doubled in size, but we're going to make sure that even though, you know, our team members know that. And so I think it's important that we show them that when we do grow, they grow. And what does that do? It helps us grow even more. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know you say like, you know, risk taker, I I look at it even the exact opposite. I mean, every time, every time we place a bet, it's, it's, to me, it's even less a bet and more of an investment. And I actually feel like the greater risk is, is not making the investment. You know, Absolutely. Like I, that's, yeah. that's always how I look at it. Because I, I always think about, okay, where do we want to go? And kind mm-hmm. of like the vision for the organization and where we want to take and how we want to serve our clients. Yeah. And to me, the probability of, of achieving that if you're not investing is zero. Yeah. So, you know, if you're investing, it's greater than zero. So I'd, yeah. I'd rather, you know, I'd rather choose those odds. But I will say that like the more we've invested in our team, in our people, yep. in our culture, you know, in, in our organization, it's paid back dividends and like the return has been, you know, phenomenal. Yeah. And it, it comes back to the fact that I think you really want to build the best team possible. And I think you, you want to have yeah. the best organization. And really what it means is it's, it's not always, and I think sometimes when people think of an all-star team, mm-hmm. they think about like the most like talented individuals <laughs> on on planet earth. Yeah. But sometimes if you have nothing but that, you don't really have the best dynamic. And I think just making sure that we have complementary skill sets and complementary yes. backgrounds and just complementary insights and just, you know, all those has been more important. It has been. And I think that that's really important for people to understand is that, you know, if you have an entire room of same level subject matter, nobody's learning, nobody's doing anything different, you know, but when you have a variety of different skill sets and and, uh, levels and people coming from different industries, which, you know, that's one of the things I love is that we don't really limit ourselves to any industries when we're looking for people, you constantly learning. I mean, I I learned from every single person here at, at Crisp, you know, every single role, it doesn't, it's not limited to what I can learn. So Alex, let me ask you, how do you, uh, how do you define success? I think it's different for every person. I think for how I would define it for me is really waking up every day with a drive and ambition to want to keep doing what I'm doing. And that comes with the money part. It comes with the benefits. It comes with everything else. But if I'm happy, I'm healthy. My family's happy. They're healthy and overall fulfilled. 
right? I, I don't know that I can ever, you could ever make me happy at work. I, I just don't believe in that. I think I need to be fulfilled and I determine my own happiness. But I just think that those things really are what success is to me. You know, I mean, I just, I want my family and myself to be striving for what we believe in and what we want on a daily basis and wake up with that mindset every single day. And then just completely unrelated to anything we've talked about, yeah. but this, this is on a, on a fun note. So as it turns out, I didn't know this at, at the time when, mm-hmm. when we hired you, but both you and your husband, you both have PhDs in sneakers. <laughs> and I yeah. want to know like this obsession with like <laughs> shoes, what is this all about? Yeah. So um, it really did start with my husband. He has collected since he was a kid and his dad, we've been together for 20 years and his dad would go out to different trade shows and different malls and just bring home random Jordans and things like that. And so over time, it just became kind of insane, right? And I mean, he just had so many. And as we've kind of grown up, we've just both now created a love and passion for them. And he's far more educated. I mean, I might have like an associate's degree. He has the PhD. It keeps him happy. It's something healthy that's fun, that is exciting to him. He buys and sells. He, you know, he knows all about them. He knows the design and the thread count and all this crazy stuff, but I think there's just something, um, I don't know, there's something beautiful about a pair of really nice white sneakers or, you know, Air Force Ones or Dunks or whatever it may be, so. And actually on that note, I mean, not, not on the sneakers note, but just, so your husband, Nick, by the way, great guy. And, you know, yeah. obviously I had the opportunity to meet him multiple times, yeah. but it's interesting in the role that you're in, you know, when you're essentially running an organization, right? <laughs> yeah. how can you kind of describe the dynamic between the two of you? Because it also yeah. requires somebody who's not just understanding, but also very supportive of the role that you're in. Yeah. I mean, it's actually been extremely beneficial for us that we've been together since we were really young. Like I said before, I've worked since I was 15. So he's constantly had limited time in terms of like seeing me even at a young age. I would come home, go to work, then come back, help with Riley, my little sister. And then, you know, we'd figure out a schedule to kind of hang out and, and do all that. And he's always known that I've always been extremely driven, graduating, you know, college early and wanting to have these careers. And so he's always really accepted that from the very beginning. And I think that we had to figure out a lifestyle and positions and jobs that really worked well for us and both of our passions and and life. And so he's the most supportive person. You know, he understands that my career is very, very important to me, but that it also you know, both him and I contribute equally, right? So I might have work more hours or, you know, all of those things, but he overcompensates where I'm not able to, and I overcompensate where he's not able to. And so, you know, he is, he's home with Giselle and, you know, when I'm here at work and then I come home and we trade off and we give each other a break. And I think it's just about communication and making sure that you're constantly listening to each other. But, you know, when we have to take a break, we, we, you know, I make sure I shut off the phone and I'm like, all right, I'll tell Michael I can't talk right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hear that. So so then Alex, as we come to a close, yeah. this being the Game Changing Attorney podcast, yeah. you're certainly a game changer. What does uh, mean, being a game changer mean to you? That's a great question. I should have thought I've about it. I never asked it before. <laughs> you actually have never asked me that, which is very interesting. I think it's not being defeated by what happens to you in life. And I think that's the simplest way to put it. We all have something. Well, everybody, we talk about this all the time. We all have something that happens to us. And it's really about not letting it define who you are and really pushing forward and being resilient to continue to achieve what, you, what you're destined to achieve and what you want to achieve. I want to give a huge thank you to Alex for taking the time to speak with us today. You know, what particularly resonated with me was when Alex said that if you want to hire top talent, be a leader worth following. And that starts by ensuring that you and the decisions that you make are in alignment with your firm's values. 
If you found this episode valuable, here are three free ways that I can help you grow your law firm. Number one, download the first chapter of my book absolutely free at gamechangingattorney.com. Number two, you can shoot me a text at 404-531-7691 and I'll answer any question that you've got for me. And finally, number three, if you can leave this podcast a five-star review, it'll help us gain access to more influential thought leaders and bring their lessons learned here to you. For more information on our interview with Alex Ripas, see the show notes for this episode in your podcast app or visit gamechangingattorney.com. Oh, 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 oh